So it's great in this uh, third year cycle of Lent that we get this wonderful gospel about the woman at the well. And it's interesting because Jesus is the one who asked her for a drink, but the woman was the one that was really thirsty. She was the one that was really thirsty. And so both the first reading and the gospel have this concept or this image of water. And we hear in the gospel about living water, huh? Living water. Seems to me that that's something that we need to recover in our lives is a thirst. A thirst for God. That's what the responsorial psalm was today. God, my God, come to my aid. But it's also a thirst within the church about what we're about. What we're about. We, we tend to forget that stuff. And this spiritual thirst that Jesus awakened in her, this thirst that she'd been feeling with all kinds of other things, not to mention six husbands, didn't do it. There was still something amiss in her life. And so Jesus, in his conversation with her, awakened in her that thirst. And I think we need that awakened in ourselves as well. You've heard us been talking the last couple years now about the Synod. And in our uh, pastorate, we filled out that Synod survey and, and that went into all the other dioceses in the United States. And then that was synthesized, it was sent into Rome. And I, I saw a connection in here because to me, the Synod is about trying to reawaken a thirst in our church. And that thirst happens and is reawakened by these conversations that we're having about how we listen to each other. And in the United States, one of the synthesis points that came back in this whole report was that the people of God in the United States want to draw closer to God and to each other. They want to grow closer to God and to each other. And it's probably part of that as a result of all the craziness of COVID, huh? We got so individualized and so separated from each other. And so there's a, there's a movement, there's a thirst in us to do that. But it's interesting that within the institutional church, some of the ways that people think we're going to move towards that are divisive, judgmental. It's about my smallness, my personal preferences, the things of the way I think things should be. And so this movement about getting closer to God and to each other is what we call conversion. Conversion is not what you do to an old van to turn it into a camper or what you do to a Lutheran to make him a Catholic. Conversion is a lifelong process of changing our relationship with God. And so it's, it's always the, the gesture of the church to be doing this, is to be gathering people together. And it's why we call the Eucharist the sacrament of unity, huh? But a lot of times we get into discussions and arguments about things about it's either or, my way or the highway. And the church has always been about both and. Both and, how we hold those things in tension that we don't always agree on, but we're not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater and forget what the fundamentals are. And so being polarized and divided uh, is not very Catholic. It's always about how do we get together. So that thirst then happens in our lives, I think in this way. As we look at the Synod and some of the things that the Synod's trying to accomplish, I just wanted to, to bring to your attention, because I think it's not being covered very well in the press in the United States, imagine that, which I think are really groundbreaking developments of our Holy Father. So I don't know if you've been following this, but 
he is completely changing a lot of the structures in how our church runs. And so there are more lay men and women in positions of authority in the church than have ever been, than have ever been. Now, it might take that a while to trickle down to us here in Clayton and Delaware County, but nevertheless, it's happening on a large scale. So the dicasteries, those are kind of the big church departments, have all been kind of reorganized under one thing, and that's under evangelization, which means what? It means that we're getting back to what our mission is. Our mission is not about saying, who's not us? Our mission is about spreading the good news of Jesus and going after people. So everything, whether it's finance or whatever it is in, in the whole church, needs to come under about how is this advancing the mission of Christ? the mission of Christ. And so Pope Francis has taken on things like the liturgy and family life and, and questions of authority, and he's recast those things, and there are people who make him really nervous about that kind of stuff, you know? They, oh, I don't think we ought to be messing with that stuff, because people don't like change. If you don't like the word change, replace it with the word growth. And we all know that if things don't grow, they die. And so if you think that the church has always been a certain way and that it should never change, you don't know much about history, you don't know much about religion, and you sure don't know a lot about the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit continues to move us and to change us. So let me give you just a few quick examples to see how this works. Let's go back to the early church. Do you remember what the major argument right after Christ's death was in the early church? You had to be a Jew before you could be a Christian. Do you remember that? We're going to hear that circumcision problem right after Easter. And so the idea was is that the early Christians were all Jews. Jesus was a Jew. And so they thought, therefore, in order to be a Christian, you needed to be a Jew first. In come us who are Gentiles. And they said, nope, you've got to be Jewish first. You've got to follow the Mosaic law before you can be a Christian. Well, thank God we don't do that anymore. It had to change. We had to grow. Then you get into the high Middle Ages, and uh, our way of evangelizing the world was either get baptized or I'm going to cut your head off. Now there's a great way to do business. Thank goodness we don't do that anymore. We had to change. We had to grow. And then we get marching along for about 800 years. We get into the, to the pre-Vatican II church, which was really about drawing us up ourselves, circling the wagons. Nobody's as good as we are. Who's in and who's out? And I, I remind you that before the Second Vatican Council, I couldn't have been ordained because my dad was Lutheran. My parents were in a mixed marriage. <laughs> I would have had to get a dispensation. We grow. We change. The fundamentals are still there. But the distractions, the other kinds of things that are not that important, we change. We continue to grow. And just a reminder that a lot of those good old days that people hearken back to was the bedrock and the genesis of the abuse crisis. We don't need that. Forty years ago, almost, when I was ordained, when I laid on the floor of the cathedral while they were singing the Litany of the Saints, I remember thinking to myself, the priests who were my models, who were my mentors, had all been ordained before the Second Vatican Council. 
And I do remember thinking that day laying on the floor, the church that I'm being ordained for today is never going to be the same. And boy, was I right. 38 years later, pastor of five parishes covering 450 square miles. Are you kidding me? We had to change. We had to grow. And so that's why we talk about don't just go to church, but be church. Go to church just meant show up. It didn't say get closer to Christ. It didn't say become community. It didn't say be active. It didn't say grow in your faith. It didn't say come to understand the scriptures better. It just said go to church. And we have a lot of unhappy results of people who don't know their faith. We had to grow. We had to change. So what's this all about? I think it's this. It returns us to a missionary stance. This is what the church came here to do. Church was not established to survive itself. Ooh, we got to do whatever we can so that we can survive. No, the church is about going out. The sign above our door out here when you leave says you're entering missionary territory. It's all about bringing other people to Christ. And so for us, the church is the well. And the living water that Jesus is talking about is God's grace in our life that empowers us to do things and inspires us to do things that we never thought we could do on our own. So the church yesterday, today, and tomorrow is the well. Christ offers us a drink every day through his drink of his scriptures, drink of his body and blood in the Eucharist, in his presence in and throughout us people gather together. We're not called to be lone rangers ever. We're called to be together, the people of God, the church. So Jesus continues to offer us life-giving water. We are the ones who are thirsty. But we fill it with all kinds of other stuff. We get distracted about, oh, the mass should be in Latin, or this or that, or whatever the thing of it is. And those are distractions. They're not about what the living water is about, which is bringing us closer to Christ setting my own preferences, my own self aside, into whatever I need to do to be one, huh? to be together. I read this this week. I thought this was an interesting quote. It said, what water is to the body, the Holy Spirit is to our soul. Let me repeat that. What water is to the body, the Holy Spirit is to our soul. So if we know what's like when we get dehydrated, the same thing happens to our spiritual lives. And so what do we do? We sing like Chris sang the responsorial song today. God, my God, come to my aid. Come to my aid. Come. Why? Because we're thirsty. We try to fill it with all kinds of other stuff. But we're really thirsty. So during Lent, we've been focusing on this idea about who is this man, the one who fills us, the one who stirs up in us this living water. And while we automatically get wet if we walk into the sea, you don't automatically get holy by coming into church. Don't work that way. It's a choice. Every day it's a choice. I can either hydrate myself or I can become dehydrated. It's a choice daily to drink. So during Lent, it's a great time for us to reflect not only who is this man, but what's he stirring up within me? If he's not stirring anything up within you, then you ain't paying attention, that's all. Will I get caught up in a lot of other distractions and just stay thirsty forever? 
Or can I get in touch with that living water that Jesus is talking about? In today's gospel today, the woman chose to believe and Jesus gave her hope. And the second reading reminds us, hope does not disappoint.